Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Locked On Gators podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network and brought to you by Built Bar. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. You can find him at Demetrius82. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? I hope you enjoyed your nice weekend. It was basically a bye week. I understand it's not an ideal situation, but it's a situation that the Gators are currently in. And uh, we hope you enjoy our podcast today and this the rest of the week, every single day. Yeah, this is a weekend one of two without football for the Gators. The last time we recorded and talked to y'all, it was before the Missouri game got postponed from October 24th to October 31st. We had kind of predicted it was coming. Florida just, there was, with that big of an outbreak from COVID, there was no way they were going to be ready that quickly. And... We've seen yet another positive test pop up since we last recorded. Maybe more, but the only one that we know of publicly until Tuesday when we get the update is no none other than head coach Dan Mullen. Yeah, uh, Dan Mullen, you know, he sent out a note on, I believe it was Saturday? Or, Saturday. Yep, yes, Saturday. Saturday evening. And it was Saturday evening. He, he sent out a note. He was, you know, saying luckily everybody has mild symptoms and then himself has COVID-19 as well, and he self-isolated himself away from his family, who's perfectly healthy, thankfully, and, you know, obviously, it's never good when somebody gets this virus, because you never know how it can impact people, and, you know, he's he's doing well, so that's good. Um, hopefully, we get an update sooner or later on how he's doing, how all the players are doing, but the Gators are going to have to figure something out, because if he can't depending on how long this lasts, how long he stays positive, if he can't play or he or if he can't coach in a couple of weeks when they're supposed to be playing Missouri, which we'll talk about that a little bit later, then what are they going to do? So I think that there's a lot of different scenarios that they're going to have to think about. There's a lot of different things that you guys will want to know as the days move on, because right now we're in a standstill, mm-hmm. you know, indefinitely until everything is cleared up. There is no Gators football. It's as if they're on a bye week. It's as if they're in the off season right now, a continual bye week. So I guess we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know. What do you sort of think about this Zach? Well, I think you're exactly right. It's a continual bye week until they're officially back at a level where they can play. And there's just some clarifications that need to be made. Now, granted, a lot of this comes from Facebook's I see or comments I see on Facebook and Twitter. People saying Dan Mullen could recover in three days, just like Nick Saban did, and end up being fine. That's not what happened with Nick Saban. He just false positive. They tested him three days in a row, and they all came back negative. So there was something either with the equipment or with the test itself that was faulty. He was not actually COVID positive. Mullen said it in his tweet himself. It was confirmed that he has COVID. So I believe it's a 10-day recovery window minimum that you have to sit out if you actually end up having it. So that would technically, based on the day that he announced it, we don't know, maybe he ended up getting it a couple days earlier was his original test. I'd assume so because he said he got it confirmed. But from the time we're recording, no, the day that he announced it, the 17th, the 10-day window would be the 27th. We are obviously hoping the absolute best for him, that he recovers quickly Worst case scenario, though, what if he didn't end up recovering that quickly as a part of this outbreak? 
then suddenly you do have to consider, you know, the plan. Or at least, you know, he wouldn't be able to practice and or be able to coach in time for the first practice against Missouri. I mean, who are they going to have there at that point? He's talked about it in the past. He was actually asked back, I believe, in August what the plan would be if maybe worse come to worse, he did end up getting it and they needed someone to step in. He mentioned that John Clark, the assistant director of player personnel, stepped in at Mississippi State at one point. Uh, running backs coach and special teams coordinator Greg Knox could do it. And I also, I would tend to believe that anyone on the offensive side of the ball would be able to. Mullins talked about those guys all being capable of calling plays. What I would think is they'd probably just give that role full-time to the game, uh, to Brian Johnson for the game, uh, calling plays that is, and have someone else step up that's good at organizing, keeping the tempo going, step up in charge of, you know, the head coaching roles while Grantham does remain on defense, and they can keep a lot of guys in roles where responsibilities are spread out. Yeah, I think that the one of the most important things about at least – in terms of replacing a guy like Dan Mullen, it's probably going to be play calling because everybody knows that Dan is in charge primarily in terms of how the game goes, how the game flows on offense. So they're going to want an offensive coach. And, you know, a a guy that seems to be somebody who has a very, very in-depth understanding of this offense, especially the way that it is this year as a high-powering passing offense, is Billy Gonzalez. He's been there. He's been able to have a healthy rotation of receivers. And honestly, he's been one of their best coaches. It it, it seems silly to say because, you know, you see the stat lines. No one's a thousand yard receiver last year. And people people see that and instantly think, oh, there's no high power wide receiver. But that's because he's been rotating these guys so often that he's able to have a fresh group of guys going in there every single time. And they're able to be productive. And this offense is high power. And, you know, it. You got Kadarius Tony. You have Jacob Copeland, who they haven't even really used too much, and maybe we'll talk about him this week. It it's 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 it, it's interesting to see like Trayvon Grimes. You have a bunch of guys that can go in there, and I feel as though Billy Gonzalez he's been able to handle that much, and he's been able to handle you know the various ways in which the 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 games were called. Obviously, he's been with Mullen for a while, so I feel like he's an experienced guy. He can go in there and and you know at least perform those sort of duties. And for at least a, a limited time, and it probably wouldn't be more than a game in terms of how long this typically lasts. Obviously, we hope for the best, and we hope that this doesn't even have to happen. But if it did, then, you know, it would just be for one week, and they can sort of delegate the duties how they see fit. Yeah, I think that he'd certainly be a candidate with you know how well he's rotated the receiver group. I'm sure he could do that a lot more across the roster, and obviously he's got position group coaches that will help him with that as well. His familiarity, and yeah, anyone else's familiarity, maybe John Hevesy. I wouldn't really expect a guy like Tim Brewster to do it just because he's so new. But Knox, yeah. I mean, he you'd figure he's probably an obvious candidate at this point. I'm not sure if John Clark would actually be allowed to step up into that role for not a game sure. day role. But, I mean, I guess the best part about it, full Florida this season, it was something that we talked about a lot coming in, is their continuity on their coaching staff. They're probably one of the best-suited teams in the SEC when it comes to this problem. You know, Compared to Georgia, they don't have as much continuity. They lost a lot of guys. They brought in guys that are capable, like Matt Luke. I mean, he could step up uh, from offensive line coach to head coach because he has experiences doing it. But at the same time, not as much continuity within the program. Florida's probably, you know, they've got themselves in a good spot there. 
Yeah, Florida's Florida's had guys, you know, obviously Dan Mullen came from Mississippi State, so he's able to have his own coaching staff. Pretty much he brought everybody over. Um, basically, the Mississippi State uh, coaching staff just transitioned to Florida. So you're right about that. They have, they have the continuity, and I think that they're one of the more stable SEC teams this year. You know, LSU even lost a couple of guys. They lost Joe Brady to the NFL. They lost – I think they lost another coach, maybe an offensive line coach, something like that. So, like – there's different maneuverings that Florida will be more capable of doing because of how well Dan Mullen's been able to keep his staff together and just how much experience that, that they've had. Obviously, Tim Brewster is a new one, but there's still plenty of that's already there. And I don't know how much of an impact this will have on a game day basis. I mean, I'm I'm more so thinking in the practice in terms of the preparation how much he can get done. If he's perhaps there's a scenario where he's not necessarily experiencing super bad symptoms where he can zoom in, you know, they've been using zoom this whole off season with the players. It's not as if they've been completely MIA and just checking in on phone calls. They've been using zoom. And while you're sick, depending on how severe it is, I'm not sure that there's a requirement for you not to have, or not to be on zoom. So if, if, he can do that in the preparation side of things virtually, then I think that he would probably go ahead and try and just, he just won't be there coaching. And, and we've seen this happen. Uh, not even in terms of the COVID last year, I remember, I don't remember the team or even the coach. It might've been Hugh Freeze. Do you remember this, Zach? Uh, I remember there was, the meme. Yeah. There's a big meme, obviously the guy in the freaking hospital bed calling plays or, you know, coaching the team from there. And then I saw a high school where they this year with the with the COVID situation, they had him on one of those like lifts or whatever at the high mm-hmm. school game, which which is kind of crazy to me. Like, why would he even be there? But but you know what I mean. There, there there there's ways you can adjust and have this. Like, I'm not suggesting that Dan Mullen's gonna call in and be like, hey, you know, Billy, make sure you call a a run here or call a pat. You know, I don't expect him to do all that. But I'm just saying there's there's definitely ways to work around this. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it, how negatively it will impact them, but. Obviously, again, we just hope that it doesn't end up having to be this way and they can just play a game. Everybody wants a, play, uh, wants a game to be played. We know that you guys are starving for Gators content, so we'll see. Their next scheduled game coming Halloween, October 31st, at home at 7.30 against Missouri. When we come back from these messages, we'll be talking a little bit more about that game. As well as, I mean, again, could it realistically go on? We'll see. We certainly hope so. Do you guys ever feel as though you're always on? Don't you want just a moment to relax and chill? It's been difficult this year, especially with everything going on, social issues, and the expectations to be on 24-7 with families and friends. Sometimes you need a breather, and especially with the Gators this season, it can be stressful. That's why Coors Light is the perfect cold one to open up. Saturdays are a time to chill. Watching Florida football and relaxing with Coors Light that's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, literally made to chill. I personally love the refreshing taste. It makes me chill out, relax a little bit, and enjoy the day. I know one thing. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in a new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly with Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. 
at the time that we're recording this on October 18th, about to be October 19th, it's almost midnight, uh, we are just under two weeks away from Florida's scheduled game against Missouri. It will certainly be a good game to you know, get them back and loosened up before Georgia. But again, we wonder if it'll actually end up happening. We've got to see. I mean, Florida did end up practicing on Monday. We don't know if there are any kids that were there that were positive or not. But at the same time, it's a fair question when Mullen ended up finding out later in the week that he was positive. you got to assume that he was there coaching that practice. Again, like we're, we don't know how close they are to each other, but the kids are tackling or at least making contact, so that's a way of spread. We don't know how close Dan is to the guy, so we can't say that he gave it to him. But that's just, you know, from our point of view, the incubation period is legit. They're talking about the kids that started having symptoms late last week that went unreported, and suddenly everyone else started popping up uh, a couple, you know, four ish or so days later, depending on exactly when that happened. But they said late last week. Uh, in which case, you know, the incubation period could have led to more positives popping up a couple days to several days after that Monday practice. What if that still keeps Florida under the scholarship limit for by the time Halloween comes around? You know, these are things that seem far-fetched, but in a season that's so unorthodox, you really can't question it. Yeah, you, you really don't know. And, and like you're saying about the, the incubation period, this is a well-known fact in that it takes 2 to 14 days for, you know, perhaps symptoms show up, perhaps they don't. And that's why it's been such a tough balance with quarantine periods. So I believe you either have to test out of quarantine essentially after a certain number of days, at least this is how they do it in the NFL. And then, or you have to quarantine for a certain number of days, depending on how closely contacted you are. Well, it's the new rule now. It's what Saban did and what someone at Texas A&M did. They can test out. It's not, it's something that like just got passed within the SEC to be allowed to happen. Right. And I think that Nick Saban tested out and he took like, something like five different tests, I believe the, the report said. So he, test, he tested out after three negative tests. Okay, after three negative tests. So that's, I mean, that's a significant number. And so they have to make sure that this isn't something that's going to linger. It, it's going to be difficult to know. Obviously, there's so many different variables here. Who knows how many they're going to report to us on Tuesday. We'll let you guys know via the website or via this podcast. Either way, it, it, if they can't play on October 31st, which, you know, for now they're scheduled to play at 7.30 p.m. on Halloween, which would be good for, you know, you guys who go into the game or however you, however you want to do it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because if they're under the scholarship limit, technically a team is allowed to just play. You can you don't have to, you know, hold – you don't have to postpone your game if you don't want – like or – you don't have to not play, but that's just the recommendation, and pretty much the team's going to follow that. Dan Mullins talked significantly about how he's, you know, how he feels about the roster size limits. He he doesn't necessarily want to go in there with guys who's never even traveled or never even played. So I don't know if they would necessarily play if they are under the fifty-three man scholarship limit that the SEC put out, but I guess we'll find out. And and if they don't play Zach, do you think that they'll maybe? cancel this game or not cancel this game but maybe move it back more or 
how do you that, think that this would even work out? If that were to happen, my guess would be they'd cancel the LSU game and move Missouri back to December 12th, which I personally think could really work out well for Florida. I mean, yes, they'd go in with a long time in between the, when they last played and then when they played Georgia. So that wouldn't be ideal. But at the same time, you're removing a team that is score is averaging more yards per game than you uh, from your schedule with your struggling defense. You don't really want to face LSU, especially a week before potentially competing for the SEC championship. If that's where Florida gets, that would not be an ideal way, especially to then go in and only have one week of preparation for the SEC championship. I would much rather face Missouri that week. And at the end of the day, they continue to reduce the risk of spread. They can ensure that they've gotten back to safe, you know, safe standards within their program, that they have more than enough scholarship players ready. And, you know, the reason that they'd be able to pull this off is because LSU is an SEC West opponent. Uh, I believe, although I don't have the paperwork in front of me, but I, I would assume they are obligated to play their SEC East games, and if they needed to, they'd cancel their West games. So LSU would be the obvious victim there. Well, I mean, that would be terrible, I guess, for you know sports fans. Maybe you guys wanted to see LSU and Florida face off. It's the rivalry, of, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so especially since last year, obviously LSU won, and it was sort of a heartbreaking fashion because Florida was doing so well. And that was sort of Kyle Trask's uh, breakout game, I guess you would say. He, he was he was incredibly efficient. That was sort of when Pitts took off too. So I understand. It, it, it wouldn't be ideal from a viewership perspective, but would you guys really want to play LSU and then if you're in the SEC championship game, just straight up go in there and play Alabama, which – I mean, we can probably safely assume that it's going to be Alabama out of the West. It's not a big secret, especially what we saw against Georgia, where we thought maybe, you know, Georgia's going to win. Nope, they they weren't. It's Alabama. So I don't think that anybody's going to want to play LSU and then go ahead and play Alabama right after. You'd rather play a team like Missouri, even though Missouri, you know, has played well at times. So it still would be a difficult challenge. And, I, I, and like I said last week, it, it really – is a shame that they couldn't figure out a way to put this LSU game on October 31st. Obviously now that they had to cancel the Missouri game, things have changed too, or not to cancel, but postpone the, the Missouri game, things have changed, but it just would have been more ideal if they put the LSU game on October 31st and then they figured out a way to, to play this week, but that didn't happen. You know, COVID is tricky and now they're going to have to go into a, a season where maybe they don't even play 10 games. Out of the 10-game season, they might not even play them all. So um, we all knew that this is a possibility, and and uh, they're just going to have to figure it out from here. You know what's going to be wonky, somewhat related, but also unrelated, is mm. the AP and coaches poll now having Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams. They'll start coming into it. I mean, they're in it now, but it's just going to be so – out of place teams being what six or seven games into their season and Ohio State and Penn State are ranked ahead of them at one and oh maybe <laughs> that actually would be pretty weird because you'd see Ohio State up there and you're like oh wow they're doing so well they've only played one game it, it, yeah. it, well, I mean we see it now <laughs> they're on there with zero and zero which just doesn't make right. any sense to me uh, it really, do- <laughs> it really but and then and then it'll also be weird to reflect upon how teams move when they have games postponed, like Florida. I mean, Florida 
remained at 10 in the AP, but jumped up to eight from nine in the coaches today. Right. So would they, would they necessarily be benefiting from playing less games somehow? I, I don't know how, how they would even judge that really. So if, say LSU plays 10 games and Florida only plays nine or something, and they're like ranked similarly, somehow th- this happens. Like how would you grade LSU? Because LSU played an extra game. Do you give them some kudos because they played an extra game and they won? Or do you give Florida the go-ahead because they played their allotment of games and they won more than LSU, but they played less? So, like, how do you even really judge a team based off of that? Or is it just literally a game-to-game basis? How does a team even move up and down when they haven't played the previous week? So, I guess we're going to figure all that out. Polls are kind of weird anyways, so... Uh, we'll, we'll 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 see what happens in in that case. This entire season's a shit show. <laughs> that much we know. If there's one thing that we can pull from this season, it's that we know it's a uh, shit show. And we'll talk a lot more about it when we come back. You know, I've been trying to get back in the gym recently, but I just couldn't figure out what to do after. Sure, I can just make a protein shake, but that's annoying. It doesn't always taste good, and it can be time consuming. That's why I've started to eat Build Bars right after my workout. Not only do they taste amazing, but they are incredibly healthy with 19 grams of protein in the peanut butter flavor. I can't go wrong. Now, I'm not a keto guy myself, but it's a low-calorie, low-sugar profile that makes it easier for any of you out there that are. Right now, you can go to BuildBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuildBar.com. Alright. We are going to try and talk about football here as we get back into the Lockdown Gators podcast post-Gators COVID outbreak. And I'm sure we'll get more into this type of stuff throughout this week as it will be another bye week. But Florida's got to take advantage of this time off to hit the Zooms and get better. There are aspects of this team that will hold them back from being Contenders for the SEC, contenders for the playoffs, contenders for a national championship. Demetrius, I'll start with you. There's one thing that you want to see this team come out, whether it's against Missouri or if the next game ends up being Georgia or whenever it is, whenever they next take the field. Where do you want to see the most improvement? I think one of the most obvious parts of their team that – needs to improve is on the defensive side of the football and it's it's really the secondary they've been giving up i believe it's 331 yards per game and there's only been three weeks and we know that there is going to be an adjustment period or there was an adjustment period because of no spring and things things of that nature but it's not as if they're not tackling well i feel as though they're maybe even being put in a negative position Perhaps that's because the safeties were kind of mixed up in the first few weeks without Brad Stewart in there to rotate. They lost a few safeties. It, it, it's going to be it, it's going to be interesting to see how they improve. But really, it's because of the fact that Kyrie Elam is good. I think we saw that last year at the end of last year in the Orange Bowl too. I think we saw that going into this year, we saw the type of leadership he can bring. Players have been talking about him. Marco Wilson has been talking about this. You know, him, Marco and and even C.J. Henderson last year used to stay after practice and, and, and work on things. And we've seen Marco be a good cornerback in this league. We, we've seen him 
improve immensely, even after his injury. I feel as though these guys can play well. I think that you the criticisms that you guys have about perhaps how Todd Grantham is putting them in a position not necessarily to succeed, playing a little bit too much off coverage, playing a little bit too much zone where quarterbacks are going to take advantage of that, plain and simple. And I think that there's some aspects of this defense that needs to be able to step up and actually make a stand. You have Jadon Hill on the other side of Kyrie Ulm, and he's shown improvement this year too. He's been, you know, he's been, obviously he's not very experienced. I believe he's a redshirt freshman. So it's not as if he's coming in with a ton of pedigree or know-how. So he's going to take some time. But these other two guys, even Kyrie being a sophomore, although he's, still kind of fresh, but he's still their best defensive back. And he's been playing well. And you're going to have to have a guy like Marco Wilson step up a little bit more. I know he had a really bad game against Texas A&M, but I don't think that that's something that you can expect from him week in and week out to have bad games. I think that this is going to be a time for him to reflect. He has two weeks now to figure this out. It's not as if he has only a few days to get right. and He's going to go and play LSU now Maybe it's a blessing in disguise they didn't play LSU because that could have been a real discouraging moment for him because of how explosive that offense is. And you already know he's going to be matched up against guys because they play matchups pretty well. So I think that these these next couple weeks are are this week and then, you know, the previous week that they've already had when they're in quarantine, they need to figure out exactly how they're going to make these adjustments, how Todd Grantham is going to put them in better positions to, to succeed and try to help the defense any way they can. What are you thinking, Zach, about improvements? Yeah, you know, you nailed it with the defense and specifically the secondary. And I think, you know, we all want to see improvements across the defense as a whole. All defensive line, linebackers, secondary, play calling, the whole nine. So I'll go to the offensive side of the ball, and I'll go with the running game. And we've talked about this before, how I think that Damian Pierce – deserves the bulk of carries. You know, we've seen guys be effective. We've seen Malik Davis effective on third downs as a pass catcher. Naquan Wright had his big game against AM. But no one's been as consistently successful a rusher as Pierce has. And he's still not breaking into the double digits. Dan Mullen talks about what not especially in South Carolina when they ran fifty three plays compared to Carolina's eighty three. That they just haven't been able to control the ball enough. They're not winning the time of possession battle. But you know you can do that when you decide to dedicate more to running the ball. Especially if you've got someone as effective as Pierce has been, who's averaging nearly six yards per attempt. He's consistently one of the top uh, rushers after contact in the SEC, according to SEC Stat Cat. I can't remember the exact number, but he's either first or second in broken in forcing broken tackles and evading, you know, going down after contact. He's just truly been one of the most effective running backs in the SEC and the fact that we haven't seen him get double-digit carries in three games so far, it's just, Dan, the answer right is right there. You want more playing time. You want to control it a little bit more. You want to keep your defense off the field and eliminate mistakes like a Malik Davis fumble. Give it to a guy who for three years has consistently churned out yards and made very, very few, if any, mistakes in Damian Pierce. Unleash him. He's, he's waiting to be unleashed. I think the time to unleash him is coming soon, no matter how successful this passing offense is. He can be the perfect complement. You've got a couple years left of Naquan. 
Malik is a good third down back, but you don't need to be giving him carries when they can be going to Damian and be way more successful. Yeah, I actually completely agree with that. And I think that the thing about the Gators offense is, yeah, it's amazing in terms of passing the football, but I understand that they want to score every single play. That should be a standard. Sure, go ahead and make it a standard if that if that's how you want to play it. But when you have a defense that's struggling so much, do you really want them to be on the field for 80 plays while you guys are only on the field for 53? And now I know it sounds kind of counterproductive. You know, why would you want to extend your drives and perhaps not score when they should be scoring as quickly as possible? I get it. But having that time of possession actually does mean something. So I'm not necessarily saying to make sure that you don't score as quickly or you, you don't get as many explosive plays but there is some credence to running the football and grinding out the clock a little bit, especially in the second half of games when you already have a lead. There were games against South Carolina, they really could have just started to run the football and start running the clock out, and they didn't. They were, they were so passing, they they scored. South Carolina, if if Will Muschamp wasn't so bad at, at, at handling a game clock and m- maybe he just had a watch that was very slow or something. I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking on those last couple drives. But if they weren't as slow, then you, we could be talking about a one and two Gators team right now. I really believe that because I, I don't think that they were necessarily in a position to close out that game. For some reason, the offense wasn't going to go as or wasn't going to be as productive in the very last few minutes of the game and they weren't running the clock out. So who knows how, how it would have worked. But, yeah, I, I think you're completely right. Damian Pierce needs to get the ball a little bit more, and he needs to tote the rock. I think that that's a ideal path forward for this offense and a little bit of a transition to what Dan Mullen wants to be, which is a balanced offense. Unfortunately, because Dan has shown a reluctancy to give Damian Pierce the ball, we might not see his breakout game until they play Tennessee at the end of the year. And the reason I say that is as we're recording this breaking news just came from Tennessee's uh, VolQuest.com of rivals that Jimmy Brumbaugh, the Volunteers defensive line coach, has been fired after just four games after what's been some pretty poor play from their defensive line. So I'm obviously being tongue-in-cheek, but maybe that'll be when we finally see something. Damian Pierce has done well against Tennessee before. His freshman year he had a big play against him. I remember that specifically watching tape after I joined the beat. Uh, we'll see. That's that's the improvement I want to see. You've got yours, D. And with that, I think that'll just about do it for today's episode. If you don't already, make sure to subscribe to this show anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Locked On Gators. Subscribe, leave a rating and review. Follow us on Twitter, myself at Zach underscore Goodall, Demetrius at Demetrius82, and of course the Locked On handle at Locked On Gators. You can find all of our written content at allgators.com or also at si.com slash college slash Florida. We'll catch up with you guys next time.